All right, well, th thanks for coming, Peter. Uh, we're going to be starting today. We're talking about the book that I wrote and Pastor Peter Hagen edited called Resisting the Dragon's Beast. How are you doing today, Peter? Great, great. How are you? Fantastic. So today what we wanted to talk about together was the introduction to the book, because this is just an introduction to what we're going to be doing, hopefully, uh, I think, Peter, this is going to take us a long time, <laughs> 40 minutes podcasts uh, over the course of talking over the 11 chapters of the book. So I don't know, Peter, what did you experience in 2020 with everything going on with COVID and so and restrictions and so forth? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Um, it was kind of interesting. You know, I, just generally speaking, as a pastor, I try to be apolitical. Um, you know, people try to pin me, did you support this candidate or that candidate? And, um, and, or they ask me, eventually they would ask me about my, you know, my shot status, my vaccination status and my kind of blanket response is, um, you know, I can talk about that, but the bigger concern for my family, if we want to talk about, you know, Pastor Hagen's personal health data is, um, you know, colonoscopies, <laughs> for instance, because <laughs> uh, that, that's actually a bigger health concern in, in my, in my family tree. Um, but it, it was kind of interesting just taking a step back and thinking back to the, and here in the state of Ohio, Governor DeWine made some, you know, some strong recommendations, but that was the extent of it. He made his recommendations and he, he worded them strongly, but he didn't use any, you know, political leverage, I would say, um, as we're trying to figure out, you know, is this, what is this virus exactly? We're hearing all these, um, horror stories from around the world. And we're seeing the caskets lined up in Italy. And, you know, that was kind of a big moment for me where it looked like our governor said, here's something reasonable, rational for us to do. And, um, and our church said, yeah, <laughs> we have a, a number of people who work in, in medicine in various ways, various capacities. And, um, and they all said, well, pastor, let's just take a little bit of time off from gathering together for worship. And, and it's our own free choice to do so. And we've got the technology to be able to, to serve people and we'll figure it out. Um, I kind of get the impression, you know, having read the book once or twice, that that wasn't exactly your uh, experience in Wisconsin. Right. So the thing was here in Wisconsin, different churches did different things. And I was tasked with writing a paper because uh, we did things just a little bit differently, at least open things up. You know, we were like most other churches, again, didn't know what was going on and closed the church for a little while. I still met individually with families, you know, like I scheduled like eight hours of people could sign up and come for devotion and communion. And we all enjoyed that. But that was a big drain on time and resources. Yeah. And then when we got back to worship, uh, we, we did like everyone else uh, taped off. Every other pew, even though us taping off the pews, that wasn't six feet, but it made people look, it made it look good, I guess. And then we had a really big funeral and we took the tape down and never went back to it. And we went back to offering plates. But the big thing was uh, because we do every Sunday communion here at Water of Life in Racine. And uh, very soon after uh, we got back to regular worship, we went back to regular communion. People were asking for the chalice, for the common cup. And then I knew we were back. But we also had fellowship with Kringle and everything, too. That's a Racine thing. 
And because we did things a little bit differently than the other churches in the area, then other pastors noticed it. And like I said before, that's when I was tasked with writing a paper. And that paper, as I kept researching on it, and you and I, Peter, we talked a lot via uh, Facebook Messenger that uh, it turned into this book. Yeah, definitely. And that was kind of the interesting thing. I mean, we, we did a similar thing where we didn't have Sunday morning worship for a while. Um, and we just did a YouTube service. So here's my wife, one month postpartum, uh, running the, the YouTube stream. And, um, and thankfully, you know, the previous pastor had organized all the technology so we could do that. Um, but then as, as time go, goes on, it's like, we need to, we need to be doing more because Lutheran theology is a means of grace theology. It's not just, you know, a recollection and a recitation of, um, of the facts, but it's actually God distributing his forgiveness through his chosen means. And so then we, I mean, we, we spaced out the communion cups and we just did the uh, individual cup for a while. And, um, and then, you know, after, you know, in late May or so, um, every week I started offering a, you know, drop-in communion, um, like every Wednesday evening between seven and eight, just come on by and, um, and I'll serve you there. And then for the rest of the summer, we had um, an indoor service and an outdoor service. <laughs> it was kind of our transition from one service to two services. And so our indoor service, um, you know, 9 a.m. and it was kind of spaced out. Um, and then an outdoor service for those who are a little bit uncomfortable being inside still. Um, and, and then I guess the last part is we, our congregation installed ionizers for the entire building, um, which actually has like over a decade of, um, of studies on this particular ionizer that it neutralizes uh, bad odors, bacteria, germs, viruses, all that sort of thing. And I guess the, the biggest thing, at least for, for me, is trying to manage this huge ball of um, what my what insurance agent called fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Um, like those are the big levers when, when somebody is selling insurance, for instance. Um, and, you know, we're dealing with fear, like the fear of death, the uncertainty of, you know, what does this actually mean? What does this actually look like? Um, and, and then doubt, you know, am I doing, I, I've chosen a path, but am I actually doing the, the correct thing? And, um, and it's kind of that, that wrestling with that huge, you know, big ball of wax of fear, uncertainty, and doubt that was probably the most challenging. Right. And one of the things that I've discovered uh, with this challenge of everything that we were dealing with and really still dealing with is that we didn't really know how to talk about these things. Uh, everyone, uh, whether it's Christians, whether it's non-believers, whether it's pastors or people in the pews, that we just did not discuss these things. Uh, and one of the things that, that I've been talking to people about is that we in our Lutheran church body, we're very set and in a right way on, you know, very confident in teachings like the Trinity, that God is three in one, baptism, Lord's Supper, the doctrine of fellowship and roles of men and women. Those are things that we we talk about and we can discuss and go into scripture and so forth. But what I discovered, and I'm sure you did too, Peters, we didn't discuss this. Uh, we just reacted. And that's that was kind of really the purpose in the book is to learn how to discuss these things. 
And in the introduction, I talked about the inklings. Uh, so the inklings, because I've been doing a lot of listening to uh, books this summer while I've been doing a lot of miles on my bicycle is listen to uh, J.R. Tolkien, The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings and The Chronicles of Narnia with C.S. Lewis. Well, those guys were together with other authors in England called the Inklings, and they would bring their works together and then they would read them to each other. And uh, they were they were, they would receive advice. And I, I quote uh, one of the Inklings members, Warren Lewis, in the book, he said, we were no mutual admiration society. Praise for good work was unstinted, but censure for bad work or even not so good work was often brutally frank. And, you know, we have very, uh, very thin skin sometimes, and we're not like the Inklings. We don't talk about things, and that was the whole purpose of this book, is really just to discuss these things. Yeah, and that was kind of the... Um the part that really jumped out to me the most is that in so many of these other topics, we say it's a, it's a spiritual issue and let's sit down together and look at what scripture has to say and then think about how do we apply it. Um, but this topic in, in particular um, seemed to jump out very, fairly quickly as well. If you do this, then you're aligning yourself with one particular belief, or if you do that, then you are aligning yourself with that particular political stance. Uh, political party. And I think, at, le at least for me, it kind of highlighted um, how entwined our beliefs about our politics um, kind of inform, <laughs> for better or for worse, usually for worse, inform our beliefs about what scripture says and therefore what the church should do. Um, it really just jumped out as like a glaring red, red, you know, warning sign that we need to talk about this more. Um, but when you when you try to talk about it more, it's it's so much of an emotional thing because people align it with their their spiritual life, my politics, my my personal medical choices, all these things line up as as what I assume that we should do. And if you challenge any aspect of that um, or say, well, let's just talk about this a little bit more, then it it jumps very quickly to, well, you're saying um, that I can't do this. You're saying that you, you must be one of those guys on that political side of the spectrum. And at least for me, that was, that was kind of the most challenging part is trying to, to tease out all those specific biblical applications, you know, that God is very clear in Romans 13 and, uh, and Revelation 13. And I think um, even among pastors and within congregations, the inability to talk about this, frankly, um, kind of highlighted the how intertwined our faith and our politics have become and to the detriment of the church. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we just had a celebration at our congregation on Sunday that after two and a half years of calling for a second pastor, we were able to ordain and install him. And then we had pastors over at my house afterwards for the uh, after party. And, and I talked to one of the pastors for about half an hour about the topics in the book. And at, at the end, you know, he said, you know, I, I, you haven't won me over to your side, but I understand that we need to have this discussion. And that's the whole point. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, so the, the paper, like I said, that I was assigned turned into the book, resisting the dragon's beast. 
And then with the subtitle of what if God's servant of the government behaves like Satan's servant. And there just, again, what we're doing today is just a really brief uh, introduction to the book. And then we'll start going through the chapters of the book in future episodes. But just uh, going through the chapters, Romans 13, looking at uh, God telling us that we are to submit to the governing authorities because they are God's servant. But I begin each chapter with a, a little movie quote or a TV show quote. So that one was uh, from The Princess Bride. I don't know if that me that word means what you think it means. Mm -hmm. And what does that word submit mean? And what I'm talking about in that chapter is that we submit to the governing authorities when they are God's servant and acting as God's servant. But we also need to understand in Revelation chapter 13, and that's the second chapter of the book, that the government can also act as Satan's servant, the beast coming out of the sea. And the beast coming out of the sea serves the dragon of chapter 12, or of chapter 12 of the book of Revelation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I thought that was um, that was really helpful for starting the conversation out because when you talk about that word submit, um, we're talking about the, the order uh, in various, the various estates of this world. So we're talking about um, order within the church, order within the family, or within the home, and then order within the world in the government. Um, that all the, these three estates, um, I guess that is what the Lutheran, you know, first Lutherans called it. Um, these estates are all established by God with a particular order um, for to be blessings for his people and the fact that you just brought it up beautifully in this uh, whole discussion on submission in chapter one um talking about our understanding of how do we apply that word and romans 13 submit means just submit and, and we take it to mean actually something different than the word submit because when we're talking about order within the church and order within the home it's basically you know, the same word and in the same sort of setting where it's a God-given order and those in that relationship within that order are told to submit. And then why do we say, well, submit to the government means do, you know, do everything that the government requires, everything that, that the government implies or says or encourages, um, but then submit within the church and within the home? Well, that has a totally different color to it. Um, and then you layer on top of that that Satan wants to use the, the power of um, government within the world, which is the external power of the law, um, to persecute God's church. And, and that's not a political judgment to say, oh, this person or that person is acting as Satan's servant. Um, just generally, that the devil still has his little time and his influence in this kingdom of the air. And, um, and so he's going to try to use all the blessings that God has given and turn them into, into a way to persecute God's church. And so like pulling together Revelation 13, Romans 13, I thought was fantastic. Yeah. Well, thanks. And, and I know you and I have had this discussion numerous times on Facebook too, of the order of submission is first of all, to our families, you know, to our parents. And we've seen it that the government is taking more and more of the parental role away from the parents and so we need to understand no we submit first of all to god then to our parents then to the governing authorities not governing authorities 
first. And I, I think we've kind of fallen into that. Uh, and then, and I, I, I remember too, uh, because I did resist, and that's what this book is really about, is resisting. I, I had a called worker uh, get very red-faced at me and say that I wasn't Lutheran by resisting. And I didn't have a good answer at the time. I was still working on the book. But my answer is the third chapter of this book of Luther's warning, that Luther was very hesitant to resist the governing authorities. But he did write eventually when he saw the the emperor going to be ready to come down on the Lutherans, he wrote uh, a warning to my dear German people. So it's his doctrine of resistance based on scripture. And then we have our own Lutheran confession of the Magdeburg confession. Well, there's a big, big history on that. And we'll talk about that. And there's four levels to resistance and, uh, it's important for us as Lutheran Christians to understand uh, this confession of faith and apply it. And then the fifth chapter is on resistance. It's not rebellion. A lot of times it's just saying no. You know, whatever the say governing authorities when they're acting as the servant of Satan, when they say do this, no, that's evil. We're not doing that. And that's resistance. Yeah. And then the, the other interesting part, um, which, may have been or hopefully wasn't you know my my only contribution uh was the discussion and i thought you brought up brought it out very well um in in how our country is constituted that we don't live under a monarchy we don't live under a dictatorship we don't even live under a straight democracy um but the government according to our constitution is is first entrust the power into the hands of the people and then secondly, in the Bill of Rights, the number one, um, number one in the Bill of Rights is the freedom, the First Amendment, the freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, freedom of the press, um, freedom of association. And there's one more that isn't coming to mind right now. But the fact that it's rather unique in our American system that good citizenship entails protecting, you know, somebody else's um, ability to resist, um, somebody else's um, sincerely held convictions that permits them resistance and um, and that the first amendment yeah freedom of religion that's the last one the first amendment expressly protects the free exercise of religion so that if your sincerely held belief is and, and you're sincere about it you're not just using your religion as a subterfuge or as camouflage um, but if you sincerely believe that something is wrong for you to do then the government um, allows and condones um, your particular resistance to that. You think of, you know, for instance, um, maybe you've heard of a guy named Sergeant York, um, Alvin York. He had been a pacifist and he said, you know, it is against my conscience and it's against my religion to serve in the army. Um, this is during World War I. Eventually he said, you know, um, he reconciled it within himself. And he did serve in the army and he served, you know, <laughs> there's even a movie about him. I think he's actually in it. Um, he served very well in that capacity. But the whole idea of the First Amendment, um, and it's been you know, reiterated in recent um, Supreme Court decisions over the last you know, 20 to 50 years, is that a sincerely held belief is something that the government with its external forces does not have the right to trample on. Regardless of, you know, whether that sincerely held belief is 
um, rational and reasonable to somebody else's perception. That doesn't matter. The First Amendment protects a person's um, free ex exercise and expression of their of their faith. Right, and and that's where, when the government was shutting down churches and so forth, that was illegal. They could not do that according to the First Amendment. We had the freedom of religion, the freedom of speech to go and and meet and gather together. And so when the government forced churches and then tried fining churches and so forth, then to get them to comply, that was wrong. And the Supreme Court of the United States, they found in every single case where churches had been fined by their local or state governments that they were they were justified in in their non-compliance and their resistance. Uh, unfortunately, it took us several several years to figure that out that we should have been resisting all along. And I make the I make the point. I not not in the book, but when I talk about it, is if every single church in America would have said, "No, we're not doing this. We have the right to meet," the government would have said, "Just back down," and and then said, "Okay, fine." Because we had that right. And like, like you said, then there's a second, second amendment that the framers of the Constitution gave us to protect the First Amendment. You know, that's why we have those things. Yeah, and, and the, the whole thing with the First Amendment is um, like the government can say, we're going to shut everything down. But when the government starts playing favorites of we're going to shut down you know, a church if your seating capacity is over 200, but not if it's less than 100, or we're going to shut down um, the mom and pop grocery stores, but not the big box stores. Um, yep. We're going to shut down and make sure that you can't do charitable work in feeding the poor and the hungry. Um, but we're going to leave the liquor stores and the strip clubs open. That is the, the sort of uneven application that is illegal. If it was um, we're declaring martial law and nobody can go out of their homes and every business is closed, that's one thing. Um, but to but to say, you know, churches, you fall under a different category that is not essential. Um, that is that is a singling out that is unlawful and against the against the First Amendment. And it is it is kind of discouraging because even if it is a you know, federal pro proclamation on a nationwide level that has to be implemented so um, locally. So it's the local police department or the local sheriff that is going to go and you know, make sure that everybody gets out of the parking lot. And the lack of, um, lack of understanding for the rights of the individual, you know, especially in the Bill of Rights, um, was, was kind of distressing because you know, we, we elect a sheriff and I would expect that he has some understanding of, um, of the rights of the individual as well as relevant case law to say, you know what? we're not going to shut this down. And <laughs> I mean, you know, on the, on the spiritual side, biblical side, it was alarming how many, how many pastors just, you know, went along with the government because Romans 13 says submit mm -hmm. on the political side, it was distressing how many local authorities just went along because, well, uh, the government said that we need to do this and it's only an emergency. So we're going to do this. And, um, and it was kind of distressing on both sides. And then here you are stuck in the middle as a pastor trying to help a congregation of people navigate the, the fear, uncertainty, and doubt in, um, in kind of this new situation that hasn't been our experience by and large. Right. And you had said this before, Peter, about our own sincerely held beliefs. That was a discussion, again, I had with called workers, whether it was our church or our grade school, if 
parents and their students did not want to wear a mask when there was a mask mandate in our city. And, you know, there were some who were saying, well, they have to do it because the government says. And uh, they said that you know, the parents put down in their letters, you know, this is our sincerely held belief. This is against our faith. And called workers to say, well, it's not anywhere in our confessions or our faith. I said, that's the, that doesn't matter. And it doesn't have to be our Wisconsin and Lutheran faith or uh, Lutheran confessions of 500 years. It's a sincerely held belief. And again, like you said, the Supreme Court has said, we will not define whether it's your sincerely held belief. It doesn't have to be your church body's belief. It's your personal belief. And again, I think a big part of this, and again, the reason I wrote the book is our own people, our own citizens of America don't understand. We don't teach, uh, we don't teach law and government in our schools anymore. We just, we teach social studies. And so, because we don't know these things, uh, we don't apply these things. And, but it's the same thing. If ignorance of the law doesn't mean that you can just, you know, go speeding, you know, 55 miles an hour in a 35 mile an hour speed zone, and then tell the police officer, I'm sorry, I didn't know that doesn't matter. You need to know, you need to have your eyes wide open and we need to have our eyes wide open again, as pastors and people of what are the laws of our nation. And that's where you are so helpful in the book because you know, these things way better than I do yet. So, so basically what I tell people is if there's anything like that sounds really smart in the book, that's from pastor Hagen. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, <laughs> Yeah, there, there was a period of time, you know, trying to get um, a little baby boy to sleep at one time or another that I would sit and read like Supreme Court briefs, which are fantastic. Like the, the SCOTUS blog, I think it's scotusblog.com is, uh, is some of the best reading on the entire internet. And um, <laughs> yeah, it's better than a bedtime story for getting a child to go to sleep. Though. It, it, you're reading, you're reading a uh... SCOTUS blogs. I'm reading graphic novels and hey. comic books and stuff. <laughs> comic strips. Book. Yes. Yeah. Book. <laughs> but uh, I think that that was it, the, the other thing that um, if we're, you know, previously I mentioned, you know, it's kind of distressing on the spiritual side that we haven't examined this, you know, it's a rather unexamined doctrine in its application. And then on the local government side that they haven't examined this, um, but then those, some of those um, briefs from the Supreme Court, it looks like the interpretation of the Constitution in the exact same way that we interpret Scripture, that they look at this seriously. What did this word mean in its context? What are the relevant applications? And it was, in that sense, it was kind of refreshing. Um, and <laughs> yeah, it was a little bit uh, frustrating that we didn't have that sort of um, insight from our own pastors. And so reading this, you know, Romans 13 or getting into the Revelation 13 was, was really like a breath of fresh air to say, hey, here is at least something clear that we can speak to instead of, um, instead of what we say is our belief, but I have attached my personal identity to it, or I've got all these other emotions wrapped up into it because my parents have COVID. And, and just to say, all right, let's parse all this out a little bit more. What does, what does God say? What, what does our nation and its laws and its protections say? And, uh, and by the way, here's a, a fantastic little uh, book or movie or, uh, or graphic novel comic strip introduction to each chapter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then just to uh, wrap this up, because we want to keep this introduction short, is 
uh, the other chapters are talking about spiritual warfare uh, because we are in a war, uh, not against flesh and blood, but against the devil and his demons. Uh, then there's Christian quietism because we as Christians, we often like to go off in our corner and we just kind of think, let you know, leave us alone. We'll do our thing. You do your sinful thing over there. And yet that doesn't, that doesn't work. The, the unbelievers of the world always work throughout history. Every time the Christian (laughs) is just quiet and they're doing their own thing, living their good lives. And the government's like, Oh, we'll leave you alone. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's sarcasm. Yeah, exactly. And it never (laughs) works. You're right. And yet we, we keep trying it. And so the point of that chapter is we need to be speaking out. We need to be standing up. And then uh, there's the gift of reason. And as one reviewer uh, of my book had said, it's kind of, he said it's kind of like it was my uh, thumbing my nose at people. I don't know if I meant it that way, but maybe it, it did, is just saying this is the reason why uh, everything having to do with COVID uh, and, our, and our government's response and public's response to it, it, it didn't work whether it's mm-hmm. masks or vaccines or plastic partitions between uh, between people in a business or walking in a line in a grocery store. You can only go one direction and not the other direction. Uh, whatever it was, I just kind of lay out the scientific facts and lots of quotations there on on all of that. Then there's... Yeah, and it's, it's kind of helpful sometimes, even if it is a little bit of thumbing your nose or, um, you know, when you get... To, you know, 150, 170 pages in, um, if somebody has read that far and they're still unconvinced, well, maybe a little bit of overstatement, a little bit of hyperbole um, can can kind of catch them off guard or say, hey, maybe I, I actually should consider this. Yeah. So I thought I thought I thought it was worthwhile to include it is, that. It is the longest chapter of the book, uh, but but it is. I, I think a lot of times we shut down our reason, and that's what that whole chapter is about. God has given us the gift of reason. We should be thinking these things out. And then there's fear uh, that uh, a big part of COVID was fear and our reaction to it. And we, as, as shepherds, we should be teaching our people, do not be afraid. Over and over again in scripture, Jesus tells us, do not fear, for I am with you. Uh, and then uh, chapter 10 is on freedom, that one of the things I posit in that chapter is God has given us freedom and it is a possession like any other possession, whether it's our family, our home, uh, our vehicles, whatever. And we, we are called by God in our seventh, ninth and 10th commandments to protect what he has given us and, and what he's given us in America, especially is freedom. And so we need to protect that and not let a tyrannical government ever take anything away from us. And then the last one is never give up because we are going up against the seven-headed red dragon of the devil and his two beasts that are coming out of the sea, which is the government that is tyrannical and the beast of the earth, which is the apostate church. And they're going to be coming at us hard. And yet, and it looks like they're going to win. And yet we see Jesus. And that's the book cover, Jesus as the angel of, of light in chapter 10 of Revelation, standing with his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the earth, saying uh, that he's in control. And, and what's interesting is after the artwork was done, it, it finally hit me. Oh, 
Yeah, Revelation 10 comes before Revelation 12 and 13. <laughs> and what that means is Jesus shows he's in control with one foot on the land, one foot on the earth before the beasts even show up. He's in control. So, all yeah, right. Definitely. And I think that was, that was kind of a, that final aspect. And I know I mentioned it previously that, that Jesus is in control and that our allegiance is to, is to him um, in the various vocations that he's given to us. And because of that, um, the government doesn't have to be red or blue or any other you know, form or shape of government. doesn't matter who's in charge. Um, but that, that government will always be manipulated by Satan. And yet there's no reason to fear because the one who's risen from the dead, it can't be reburied. You know, he's got the power of life and death um, and the keys of death and Hades. Like, what is it that we have to be afraid of? Um, nothing. So we're going to be wrapping it up here. And this is the first, hopefully, many weekly conversations that Peter and I have as we talk about resisting the dragon's beast. What if God's servant of the government behaves like Satan's servant? And a little caveat, neither Pastor Hagen and I are speaking for our churches or our grade schools or our church bodies. This is just two of us as pastors, just and as mainly Christian citizens, right? Just we're talking, and that's what the whole book is about, is having a discussion. And then I just wanted to wrap it up uh, with this is you can buy the book on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Uh, on Amazon, I just saw that you can buy the hardcover of the book $6 off. So I don't know how they can just take money away from me, but it's Amazon. It's This isn't a big thing for me to make money on it. It's I want people to read the book. And so I wanted to share the last thing is a book review from Amazon uh, that Deb gave the book a five out of five stars. And then she wrote, love this book by a well-respected conservative pastor. It certainly addressed a lot of questions I had and relieved some guilt I may have had along with those questions. Highly recommend it. So thank you, Deb. And I and Peter, I think we both highly recommend it and encourage you to go out and read it, uh, buy it, share it with other people. Let's get the discussion started. All right. Well, thanks everyone for listening and we look forward to you uh, listening to us again next week. Have a great day.